Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, I'm Claire Mutimer. And I'm Susie Coulson. Welcome to The Backstory. In each episode, we'll be hearing about an experience that has happened to someone that shaped who they are. 30 minutes that remind us that everyone's dealing with something. So we're a documentary podcast. A docupod. Except you made that word up. Hi and welcome back. We're going to jump straight in this week with a brand new backstory. This week, Susie meets Terry. Terry was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease in 2010. Now, this is an illness that's close to your heart, Susie, isn't it? It is. Yeah, my mum was diagnosed with Parkinson's about oh, about eight years ago. Um, so this will be the one podcast we do that mum actually listens to. <laughs> so hello, mum. <laughs> hello, Susie's mum. Yeah, the, the slight difference is that Terry's symptoms are very different from your they mum's, are, aren't they? Yeah, that was really interesting. We'll hear more about that in a moment. Yeah, you might actually be able to hear some of Terry's symptoms in his voice because I know Parkinson's can make a person's voice quieter and slower. So you might pick up on that um, in the recording. So Terry told Susie Moore when she went to visit him and daughter Vicky in Terry's home. Terry, thank you so much for having us here. So where would you like to start? End of 2010, October, when I first noticed something was wrong or felt something was wrong. And uh, I had a feeling at the time. It was just a matter of uh, us sitting on the computer and my hands uh, started to, fingers started to vibrate. Went to the doctors and they sent me to a specialist who confirmed it was Parkinson. So right from the start, you suspected that this was Parkinson's, did yeah. you? Seen uh, Muhammad Ali and Richard, Richard uh, uh, sorry, Michael J. Fox um, was uh, uh, coping with Parkinson's. And it was the symptoms, it was the tremors. And I just something was wrong and I just had a feeling in the back of my mind that what it was. Did anybody else notice any of these symptoms or did you kind of mention them to anyone before you went to see the doctor? I think I mentioned it to a couple of people, but I wasn't too sure what it was, whether it's just a, a nerve a twitch or some, something like that. And I didn't take a lot of notice of it at first. It started off with my little finger, then it progressed to my whole hand within a matter of four or five weeks. I'm assuming it was a consultant that gave you the diagnosis. Tell me about that. Who was with you? What do you remember about 
that event. He sat me down sort of quite close to him, looked into my eyes, quite romantic really. (laughs) 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 And um, actually what he was doing is watching me blink because apparently people with Parkinson's only blink half as much as people without it. That's to do the, uh, the walk up the corridor and walk back. Then he'd done a few other tests, reflex tests. And uh, when I'd been for a walk up the corridor, he sat me down and he said, uh, I'm afraid to tell you I've got Parkinson's. Were you there by yourself? Did anyone come along with you? Uh, my youngest daughter, Samantha, she was there. And my ex-wife uh, came with me as well. What was your first reaction? How did you feel? Because I had, a, I already had a feeling it might be that. I, I wasn't sort of hundred percent. So you're shocked to even hear it. You're always hoping, of course, of antibiotics it will go away, sort of thing. As people think, will it kill you? You know, can you cope with this? Is, is it hereditary? So it's just a matter of uh, how am I going to cope? Will I go into a home? How old were you when you got the diagnosis? Fifty-nine. I was planning to retire when I was sixty, anyway. What were you doing for work? I was an engineer on a gas site. I had a busy, hectic lifestyle. It was about being able to cope with Because we were a tier, tier three security site, I had to be able to cope with um, any emergency that come in. And they said if we had a terrorist attack now, would you be able to cope? And I had to be honest, I don't think I could. We're here with Vicky as well, who is one of your daughters. Vicky, what do you remember about when your dad told you about his diagnosis? I remember feeling worried for him because I didn't know an awful lot about it myself I didn't know where it would go how quickly the you know deterioration would would start one of the things I know about Parkinson's is that the progression nobody can tell you at the beginning what your progression with the disease is going to be how it affects you and how it progresses is particular to you so you've had Eight years now since your diagnosis. Can you tell me, tell me how your progression has been? Um, from the from the onset, it was, wasn't too bad. I just had the tremors, which the medication was co- uh, controlling. Um, but since then, it, it's taken on sort of different aspects of it because the medication has changed. Um, I get freezing. Just explain what freezing is. Yeah, you, you're standing up or you come to a doorway or you're going in or out or you're standing at the sink or wherever and you, you physically can't move. You, your, body, your body sort of freezes and you have to sort of will, drub up some willpower to even just either push yourself away or move. Even in bed, body goes really slow and I can't sort of uh, can't move or turn over or do anything for a while. And you say for a while, how long does that... Does that freezing stay with you? Um, initially, if I'm just standing up or just going in and out of a doorway, you can more or less get rid of it. Uh, it'll, it'll still be there, but you have to wheel yourself forward. If I'm lying in bed, it can be sort of like 10 minutes up to an hour. That's such a long time, and you're kind of you're trapped in your body in a way. You can't make it, you can't make it move. No, that's right. You, you have to um, really sort of summon up some energy just to turn over. It's a slowness as well. Uh, your body goes all slow. It's like doing everything in slow motion. It's, that's, a, that's the hardest bit, I think. If, I, if I'm telling somebody, not not a story, but a lengthy uh, piece of information, I do tend to try and go into perhaps a bit too much detail. But I, I, if I'm talking away and I'll think of something else, then I'll go off on a tangent. 
but you can tell with some people you're talking away and they're visibly visibly bored. Uh, it does knock your confidence. What does that do to you emotionally? Because this is a progressive illness, isn't it? Yeah. And it's not like you get a day where you have relief from these symptoms. So what's that like on an emotional level? Sometimes it's hard that you can't do the things that um, you used to be able to do. Um, I used to rush around like a lunatic all day, all week. And uh, when, I, after, when I was first diagnosed, I tried to carry on doing those things. I had to drive to Warwick or other parts of the Wales and Scotland. It soon became obvious that I couldn't. Oh, well, it was, uh, stopped a lot of the things I used to do. It's so frustrating how it used to be. You always think that you can just carry on uh, immune to these sort of things, but you have to respect Parkinson's, what it is. And I don't always do that. You know, I'm still trying to do stuff now where I shouldn't, you know, because it takes too much out of me. Yeah, it's kind of inevitable, isn't it, to feel that frustration and you maybe know what the sensible thing is to do, but we're not always very sensible, are we? And sometimes you just want to be able to do things as you want them and hang the consequences. If I do too much one day, it takes me two days to recover. So, Vicky, what, what support do you offer your dad? If dad needs, if he has a hospital appointment, I will make sure that I'm free, able to drive him there. And generally driving around as well, shopping, just popping into the town, picking up some things, hospital appointments, doctor's appointments, making sure that I'm available to help out and make life easier for him with the, the smaller things. There are situations which can be embarrassing. A couple of years ago, when I was visiting family in Birmingham, and I had, um, for a while, uh, dyskinesia. I was constantly rocking backwards and forwards, and uh, I lost two or three stone. Because of the energy that you were using. Yeah, yeah you're constantly, your body's constantly moving, even when you're asleep. It was, it was a time in, in Birmingham. We was out, out having a meal with some family, and I got this dyskinesia, and I was sitting in the chair, rocking backwards and forwards. The three members of the family I was with, it must have been embarrassing for them because they, they more or less stood in front of me and turned their backs on me. So uh, it was a bit, of awk- bit awkward. But um, whether I'd done his intention or what, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to think so. But if you're out, people notice these things and they look, don't they? It's only human nature. And it must have been embarrassing for them, as it was for me, basically. Because you don't like people, they don't know what's wrong and... Perhaps they're half expecting you to keel over or something, you know. They're frightened of what they don't know, really. How would you say this has changed your relationship, either of you? We, we, we seem to have got a lot closer anyway, didn't we? Uh, we've, also, we've always been, I've got three daughters, and we've always been sort of fairly, you know, quite, quite close anyway, but it's brought us a lot closer together. They come round, they just walk in. and It's that sort of day in, day out that... that I think is so important for relationships, isn't it? You know, I think seeing, just knowing the day-to-day stuff that's going on in somebody's life makes the world of difference. You begin to appreciate each other a lot more as well because before the Parkinson's, you were very independent. You had your own own hobbies and such, you'd go to the pub and see friends and the snooker club and, you know, occasionally we would pop to the the snooker club and, and see you, but now it's more you appreciate the time you spend together more and you tend to do a lot more together as a family and um, make the most of it. I've got a good friend who runs a hotel in the town and uh, every time I phone up and book, try and book a meal for the Parkinson group that, uh, that we run, 
Um, he said, you can, you can all come, but none of you are having peas or sweet corn. Because they'll end up all over. Yeah, obviously, the, the tremors, they'll, peas and sweet corn will go everywhere. And uh, he's, he's given me a new nickname now. He's called Shaky. He must know you very well to be able to get away with that. Well, he's not, well, not long after I was first diagnosed, one of my old uh, union compatriots from Birmingham, the first thing he said, so we're calling you Shaky now, Shaking Stevens or Shaking Noakes. Did you mind? Or yeah. I mean, the other chap come down and says, you can't say that to him. But it's fine, I, you know. I'd rather do, they, they talk like that than sort of be quiet and reserved or not know what to say in front of me, you know, so yeah. Throughout all of this, is there anything that you feel you've learned about yourself? Not to care what other people think, like being out and about and walking with dad and in a busy supermarket and something as simple as he's reaching to get something out of the freezer and you know him himself he freezes and people are behind they're huffing they're puffing they're getting you know frustrated and it's it's you know not caring because they don't know what's going on you know my dad doesn't wear a, a, a sandwich board saying I have Parkinson's please be patient it's learning to be patient yourself and accept that not everybody knows what's going on you know just just to not worry about what people think or what they're what they're doing what they're saying because everyone's fighting their own battle and they just you don't know about each other's how about you terry uh yeah i many a time especially lately if uh, i try and do some shopping uh the uh the dystonia um sets in um, as well, because if, I, if, I, if if all the girls are busy, you know, many times I've got a taxi up to Sainsbury's and um, done some shopping. Uh, uh, this this uh, my feet claw, and then I can't physically can't walk, so I have to um, hold on to the trolley and find somewhere to sit down for five minutes, or like I had to a couple of three weeks ago. Um, that's one of the uh, assistants in the shop to get me a chair then I have to phone one of my daughters up and they come and uh, pick me up Do either of you have any advice for if somebody was getting a you know, a diagnosis not just of Parkinson's but of any kind of progressive disease Talk to your family and you'll find that they'll be a lot more supportive than you do you think, really. Especially if it's something that's going to affect your speech in the long run. I think it's a good idea to um, get things in motion at the beginning. The million-dollar question is, how do you see the future? Uh, I think you have to take each day as it comes, but there are times when things aren't going so well and they don't seem to be getting any better. You just seem to be waiting for the inevitable sometimes. But, you know, in the main, uh, just, uh, as I say, take every day as it comes and cope with any situation as it arises. That's all you can do, really. You have to re- I think you have to respect the disease for what it is or the ailment and uh, not try and abuse it like I've been doing, trying to do things that my body can't cope with, basically. You know, the jobs can wait another day or so. When you have a, a disease like Parkinson's, it's bring you down to earth. Do you think, is loneliness a factor here because it changes your life so much? Sometimes I think I probably expect too much from the girls and I've got to learn to respect they've got their own lives to lead, basically. Sometimes, it's, you know, you're thinking, uh, you, know, you know, you feel a bit sorry for yourself, you know, why, why aren't they coming around to see me? I should, they, I should be top of their list. 
but you don't. You know, you have to respect that they've got their own lives to lead. After living on my own for so long anyway, sometimes it's nice to be on your own. And Vicky, you're that sandwich generation, aren't you? Because you've got a little boy, yeah, childcare and work yeah. and trying to have a life at the same time. Yeah, yeah you've yeah. got it all going on. I do come round, I've got three grandchildren. It's great. Where's your head? So you, you want to see him grow up and that's your, that's your object. I to see your grandchildren grow up. Vicky's son, the first thing he said, can we get the train track out? Spend two or three hours putting all that together. She's what they like, so, you know, it's nice to be able to, well, I can, get down on the floor. I'm so excited to get back up. (laughs) But actually, for a child to have someone that isn't trying to dash off and do the washing art, you know, because, you know, at home you're always trying to get on with other stuff, aren't you? And so to have someone that can give them that time and that focused attention is an absolute gift, isn't it? Is there anything else that either of you want to talk about? I think with Parkinson's, rather than allowing it to beat you and take over your life, it's, it's finding that happy medium, finding the things that you enjoy doing and are still able to do, and it's keeping, you know, keeping yourself happy, keeping your life going as such. It doesn't have to take over. You can, if there's something that you, you, can, you can still do, do it. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ah, oh, well, thanks to Terry and his daughter Vicky. So one of the aspects of the disease is that you just don't know how it will progress. No, that's right. And, you know, it was really illuminating for me to meet Terry because, of course, I've only ever seen mum and how it affects her. But Terry had a very different set of symptoms. And with every set of symptoms, you get different problems. So just to give you an idea, mum's major problem, the one that has the biggest impact on her, is that she falls over like literally all the time, multiple times per day which causes massive problems for her. But it was interesting to hear from Terry, you know, suffering with freezing and that condition where his feet kind of seize up. And obviously they present their own 
difficulties. They sounded absolutely horrible, didn't they? They did. God, the freezing thing just must be so tricky. And it and it's the sort of thing that if you see somebody in the supermarket or something, you know, people do inevitably look, don't they? Yeah. And wonder what's going on. Yeah, completely. I didn't realise that it could be so different in different people, but I suppose what they have in common is just the experience of living with something that affects your day-to-day life and is getting worse. How the hell do you live with that? God, I don't know. I think you just do because you have to, don't you? It's like, how do you live with any difficulty? Yeah, it's not that you're like particularly brave, although, you know, obviously it does require bravery. It's just that you have no choice, just like when people are bereaved or going through any other crap, really. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, with mum, mum went on a pain management course. A lot of it was based around mindfulness. And I think I was kind of expecting her to come away with, you know, some pretty high intensity medication. But a lot of the course focused on accepting the pain and sort of learning to manage it and using mindfulness as one of those techniques. Yeah, I looked at some stuff online, you know, just to help you out a bit with prepping for today. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I like to do that sort of thing. (laughs) Um, And I read that mindfulness is about sort of paying attention to something on purpose and with fresh eyes. Okay. So bear with me on this. Instead of focusing on how badly we want the pain to stop, we pay attention to our pain with curiosity and without judgment. Okay, so kind of easier said than done, really. Definitely. I mean, our normal way of dealing with pain is to think about how much we hate it, mm-hmm. um, which can make it worse, as well as perhaps making us anxious and like depressed, particularly if it's chronic pain. The next thing we do is try to figure out how to get rid of it. Okay, you know, that seems fairly natural, doesn't it? That would be the, the normal response. Yeah, well, you'll like this bit because it's been compared to a robot vacuum, which I know you have. Okay, (laughs) I do have a robot vacuum and it's completely crap. It basically goes under the sofa and just gets completely caught up in the wires and headbutts the walls for hours on end and doesn't really do any cleaning. Exactly. And our brains do the same thing with scouring for solutions, which can be exhausting and it can be like stressful and frustrating and can leave us basically feeling quite trapped. And mindfulness teaches people with chronic pain to be curious about the intensity of their pain instead of letting their minds jump into thoughts like, this is awful. It also teaches individuals to let go of like the goals and expectations. From the perspective of mindfulness, nothing needs fixing. Nothing needs to be forced to stop or change or go away. Okay, so that's kind of stuff that you've read. But, you know, we're sitting here essentially as two people who aren't suffering from chronic pain. Yeah, I'm really torn because I can see that there's something there with the mindfulness and it's easy to be dismissive. But then again, if I was in chronic pain, I think I would want to take mindfulness and like, sort of shove it somewhere else yeah 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 uh, I get I I kind of get it too you know I I do think that there's a lot to be said for this approach but I was surprised when mum went on the pain management course and that was the focus and I guess you know I have to admit that maybe a teeny part of me thought that that was just adding insult to injury you know you're in pain and actually the answer we're going to give you is that you need to accept that pain what was your mum's response to it I don't know how much she actually felt she got from it. She said that one of the things she really learned was they talked about pacing yourself and actually giving yourself permission to to kind of stop and rest and, and spread activities out rather than trying to go sort of hell for leather, right. um, which Terry talked about as well. So I think yeah. she got something out of it. And, her, and here I am talking to a dedicated daughter, which means, leads me on to Terry's daughters. They were a massive help to him, weren't they? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it was lovely that they talked about how this had had brought them closer and I can 
definitely relate to that. What about the Shaken Stevens comment? Like, <laughs> what do you think of using humour in this way? Yeah, it's great, isn't it? I mean, it's brilliant when it works, but God, you've really got to be sure of yourself and, and who you're talking to. Is it something you think you would risk doing? Yeah, I think I would do it, you know, when you know someone really well, you know who can take it and know who can't. Yeah, to definitely, extent, don't you? yeah. Um, it makes me think of Tim's story, Mindfulness on Wheels, when Tim came out of a psychiatric hospital and his mates made quips about having a straight jacket yeah. in his bag. It made me think also about some friends of mine, one friend who who got breast cancer and needed a mastectomy. And one of my other friends, we went round there for um, kind of drinks and cakes and she made a whole load of cakes that look like tits basically oh my god <laughs> and I think one of the nurses that saw them was quite shocked and said oh god you really shouldn't have done that but actually you've got to know your friends haven't you you've you got have. to know what people yeah. are up for she what they that would be funny for her. she knew that that was completely suitable so it was it was brilliant I think it's easy to dismiss using humor in difficult situations you know because it can be a bit crass and and risky but it's a real opportunity to create a bond. And I guess what Terry's friend was saying underneath the joke was that it's okay, you know, it's okay to be open about what's going on. And he still sees Terry as his friend. He's, you know, still seeing him as someone who's equal to him rather than someone who's suddenly, you know, become vulnerable and needs to be handled very carefully. Yeah, I don't want to unpack too much, like, what we're doing with the humour because you know, it will almost ruin it, like kill yeah. the magic of what we do as humans. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. It's a subtle understanding where you're like equalizing the relationship. You're you're understanding that, that they don't want pity yeah. and that you're like providing a way out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Is there anything more to say on that or shall we move on? Yeah. Yeah. Um, moving on to something completely different. Oxford Dictionaries have come out with their word of the year. Oh God, are we doing one of those things where we sort of hurtle towards the end of the year? So we start looking back at the word of the year. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, it's November and uh, we're going to ignore any big word that comes up in December. Yeah. <laughs> like Christmas. Yeah. Um, and so we've got a much happier word, the word toxic. Oh, lovely. That's yeah. cheery, isn't it? Okay. Yeah, apparently reflects the mood, ethos or preoccupations of the year. Oh, God. Oh, that sounds a bit depressing. I know, it does rather. And when I first heard it, I wasn't sure if they meant like toxic, as in toxic substance, like, the, the you know, the Novichok and... Okay, yeah. Or like, you know, we've also had like chat this year about toxic waste and toxic yeah. gas and stuff. Maybe that's just like moved into our other words, but toxic relationships and workplaces and yeah and I've also heard quite a lot about toxic masculinity that's kind of a oh yeah a concept that? that's sort of buzzing around you know the difficulty of being a man and and therefore being expected to behave in a certain way you know be tough and not show your feelings and so on and there was a thing on Twitter with Caitlin Moran who kind of put something out asking men what are the downsides of being a man and say so, you know we discuss the downsides of being a woman very often but she wanted to know what was going on with with men and there were loads of replies about how hard it is being a man from you know people assuming that you can't look after a small baby to fathers not showing emotions to their sons all sorts of things so that I thought that was a really fascinating discussion I think the other part of toxic masculinity was the the way that it was used by things like the me too campaign so you know the notion of uh certain behaviors yeah 
being seen as toxic towards women. So, you know, entrenched behaviours that had perhaps been the norm for a long time and sort of bringing those, you know, out into the open. And so, you know, it's definitely something that took root in the public consciousness and, you know, got everybody talking this year. I love a new saying. And the other big toxic conjunctures um, have been toxic workplaces. These are places with like, I guess, an inherently bad culture for the employee sort of thing. Um, I mean, all workplaces can be a bit rubbish from time to time. But um, I think this, like, you know, the meaning with toxic workplaces is kind of bullying, bad management, poor communication. We've probably all worked at one of these at some point. Certainly, I worked in TV and you're on such short contracts that you get to work in so many different places and you quickly work, you know, work out the ones that you don't want to go back to. And mainly I felt like it was places where you were sort of undervalued and okay. like bad communication yeah. yeah I think you need the the Sunday evening test you know the Sunday evening do you feel kind of relaxed and and positive about the week week ahead or do you or have that dread horrible yeah. yeah sinking feeling and I guess every as you say everybody has that some of the time it's whether it whether it goes on and on is maybe yeah. a good a good test Yeah, toxic relationships is another aspect of this. And it's a really interesting one. Sally Hughes, who writes in The Guardian, wrote an article in The Pool, bear with me on this, um, about family estrangement. I think she'd had a fairly toxic relationship with some family members and had decided to, you know, to take a step back from those. Toxic can be like a great description for a relationship. It's like, it's so damning, isn't it? But sometimes apparently the only thing to do is just to stop that relationship to enable everyone to be happy. I think that's a pretty brave move, really. Yeah, I think people make the mistake of thinking that it's a sort of knee-jerk reaction, but often it's a very considered response to something that's been going on for a long time. Going on for a long time, yeah, exactly. So I think it's time for our podcast recommendation. What is it this week, Susie? Okay, this week, uh, it's definitely not an easy one. This week's recommendation (laughs) is the Grenfell Tower Inquiry podcast. Uh, It's produced by the BBC. It's a daily podcast, which is reporting on the inquiry into the Grenfell Tower disaster. The most important thing is it's presented by Eddie Mayer. It's presented by all hail Eddie Mayer, who I absolutely love. You hear from various people involved, so residents, the emergency services, various expert witnesses, And the reason that I wanted to recommend it, apart from, you know, just the the very moving nature of it, is that it just seems like a brilliant use for a podcast, because basically, this is a very important inquiry. And they're disseminating the findings in a way that I think makes it more accessible, hopefully gets it across to more people, makes it more engaging. So, yeah, it's you kind know, of public seeing, service broadcasting. Yeah, it best. is. Exactly. Yeah. It's seeing podcasts used in a completely different way. So um, not an easy one, but definitely uh, worth subscribing to, I think. So, OK, let's end on a lighter note. And Let's face it, Claire, it doesn't get any more trivial than our magnificent giveaway, which we are launching today, aren't we? Definitely yeah, well, by launching, launching today. By <laughs> launching, what Susie means is that we finally find time to stick it up on social media. <laughs> the photos you. have been taken. <laughs> they have, they have. Um, um, so definitely, so once you have finished listening to this podcast, which I promise you will be over very soon, <laughs> get yourself over to any of our social media and, and let's hope we get there before you. <laughs> behold the majesty of our bumper package too obvious an innuendo i won't even go there anyway we have an amazing set of prizes beautifully hand-wrapped by claire to give away to one lucky winner 
So let's be absolutely clear, Claire, because we know exactly what people need to do for this, don't we? Oh, they yeah, need to a whole list need, of things. Yeah, we're going to make you work for this absolutely. prize, guys. So, Come on, you've got to subscribe, yeah. follow us, yeah. like, share, share, retweet, retweet. Send us your inside leg. No, don't send us your inside yeah. leg measurement. But yeah, basically do all of that stuff to one of our giveaway posts and we will announce the winner shortly before Christmas. We'll try and make it as fair as possible. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> we're taking a very short break but we'll be back on the 18th of december with a new set of backstories that will be stretching straight across christmas yeah they will yeah so you know if your christmas is going to be truly hellish just just put your stick ear, in your earbuds and off you the go. toilet, you'll be fine <laughs> see you soon thanks so much for listening bye-bye bye-bye we are the backstory podcast on facebook and instagram at the backstory pod on twitter Search for The Backstory with Claire and Susie in your podcast directory. For sponsorship opportunities, or if you'd like to take part in a show, please contact hello at thebackstorypodcast.co.uk. The Backstory Podcast is produced by Tin Shared Productions. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.